0: Uh, G'day, the Bible reading today, there's two. Uh, The first one is from John 15, from verse one to 17. I am the true vine and the father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. I have made known to you you did not choose me but i chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other the second reading is from colossians chapter 3 from verse 1 to 17. since then you have been raised with christ set your hearts on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now you must also rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, My name is Emma and I am the Executive Minister here at Church Hill Anglican. It is a wonderful joy uh, to fellowship uh, here together with you all. Today we're going to be thinking about the story of us. So I'm going to pray and then uh, we'll get to it. Our dear Lord, we do thank you for uh, this place and this space and this moment in time. We thank you, God, that you are here with us. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that um, your Holy Spirit, that he brings your word to life in our lives. So, Lord, please, as we uh, as we look at this text from Colossians, and, Lord, as we think about our story, Lord, would you help us to see it um, In the big picture lord that it is your story that you are telling uh, over time so please lord be with us um, guard us protect us from the evil one and help us to be transformed as we engage with your word and we pray this in jesus name amen well christianity is not a new phenomenon or a passing fad the parish of church hill anglican both St. Philip's and Holy Trinity, that's the the real name of this particular church, although we refer to it as the Garrison, but more in a moment on that historical little nugget. Um, As a Christian church, we are part of a much bigger story of God's relationship with his people and with the world that he created. Now, the Bible is not just a set of random stories, but it's a narrative which is centered around God's interaction with humanity. And we are part of that story of Jesus Christ and God's plan to renew the world. We are part of the story of Abraham and Israel, of the testimony of the apostles who declared that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. These same apostles encouraged all people to repent and turn to Jesus in faith they said, for no, there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. We are part of the historic Christian church who for nearly 2000 years has declared the gospel to the world. We are part of the story of the Euro- European reformation and of the evangelical movement of the 18th century that brought the gospel here to Australia. We are part of the ancient and the modern Australian story and the story of this land. And we are part of thousands of individual stories that have centered on and been connected to this space for 235 years. And you and me, we are part of the story of our church. Now the garrison, which is also known as Holy Trinity Miller's Point, was originally a church plant from St. Philip's, of which there's a number of people in this particular building now in this congregation who started their time at Churchill Anglican at St. Philip's. And it was planned at a meeting convened by Australia's first parish minister, the Reverend William Cowper, in December 1839, because the seating capacity at St. Philip's Church had been outgrown by the congregation. So I'm giving you a little bit of a snapshot, a bit of a history here, so that you can uh, see how we fit in this story. The foundation stone of this building here was laid in 1840, and the current building is the same building that's been used for worship and mission for over 180 years. The name the Garrison Church is its nickname, given because of the many regiments that have worshiped here over the years, And the Garrison is one of the few buildings in Sydney with 175 years of a single united purpose to worship God through the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that we continue to do every week, week in and week out, as we gather together, as we listen to God's word read, as we sing songs, as we pray together, as we listen to his words spoken about, and as we congregate together and talk about his word. We are now at the parish of Church Hill Anglican. where are one parish in the north end of the CBD of Sydney, two sites, so St. Philip's and the Garrison, four congregations, three up at St. Philip's, one down here, and each congregation is unique and with their own flavour and community but we all have the single and united purpose of worshiping God through the risen Lord Jesus. And together here, right now, in this moment in time, we are part of the 4 p.m. congregation story. And we believe that God has placed us here at this particular time, in this moment, and that is significant. Our story is not our own. It's God's story, and it started at the beginning of time. And we are part of his story, but we are also part of the story of this parish. And it's only by stepping back and seeing that we are active participants in God's ongoing story of redemption, that we'll be able to see how this influences our story in this moment in time. Now, the object of Christian community is a person, Jesus Christ. He is what we hold in common. And we exist because of him and we form our community around him. That's why we are here and that is what we are seeking to do. Put another way, this community would not exist without Jesus Christ. And in Colossians chapter 3, Paul paints a picture of what life will look like for Christians and for life in community. A model for how to live as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So I'll be using this passage as a springboard to explore with you the story of us. We're part of the same story that the church in Colossae inhabited. Isn't that just mind-blowing? I think that's mind-blowing. When I was younger, I'm going off script already, Justin. Uh, when I was younger, um, I thought the Bible was a library of books, which is true. There are lots of different books in the Bible. They have different genres, different styles, different characters, different messages, uh, all about the one same one thing. But I couldn't see that single thread. And it wasn't until I was much older, there's a woman called Sally Lloyd-Jones in New York who who... Um, wrote this Jesus Storybook Bible, and the begin at the on the front it says every story whispers his name, and that thread is all the way through, constantly pointing to Jesus, and at the end it it talks about how we are part of that ongoing church, that ongoing story. So that just is one little thing. <laughs> so we're going to consider what these words are saying to our church today. These words that were written over almost two thousand years ago, still living and active. Carried throughout history by the Holy Spirit to us here today in this moment, with the power to give us understanding, the power to challenge us, and the power to change and transform us. So, we're going to consider three things today our identity our clothing and our life together. I'm gonna say some things, I'm not gonna say all the things. The idea is that this conversation will continue as we go up the hill and have dinner, as you have conversations in your pews afterwards, as we take these words to our community groups and as we mull over them and think about them and consider the implications for our church uh, and where we are headed and being led uh, by God. When we understand our identity in Christ, We can put on the right clothing and our life together will be transformed. I thought about using um, a picture from Zoolander at this point. Thank you, Ben, for smiling. Who am I? Um, (laughs) The question of identity is existential, it's complex and it's multifaceted. And many of us will spend a lifetime trying to figure out the answer to this question. For some people, this is a question that we ask ourselves every day. For others, it might be a question that you ask when you're going through a season of change, or upheaval, or a particularly challenging time in your life, or perhaps when something unsettling has been happening. And some see this question as a problem that has to be solved. I wonder how you would answer that question. I decided to turn to the wisdom of artificial intelligence, and I asked Chat GPT, how do I find out who I am? I did put who am I, and it came up with, I'm sorry, I don't know you, so I can't tell you the answer. So I rephrased the question <laughs> to prove this point. How do I find out who I am? And here is what ChatGPT said. Discovering and understanding your own identity and sense of self can be a complex and deeply personal journey. Do you agree with that? Yes, you can nod your head if you want to. Not shake your head. Maybe there's more to it. <laughs> it then listed the following eight suggestions for how I might go about answering the ever-elusive question of who I am. Self-reflection and mindfulness, journaling, seek professional help, engage in self-discovery activities, talk to trusted friends and family, educational and personal development, accept change and growth, embrace your authentic self. Now, don't want you to think I'm poo-pooing chat GPT. I'm not at all, but it's interesting. All of these things are things that I myself have done uh, in trying to figure out who I am and where I'm at, what am I doing, what's the purpose of life, all those things. Um, And maybe you too have asked those things, so I think they're actually not bad questions to ask. But I think these suggestions ring true with the 21st century post-Christian view on how to find your true self. And there were some helpful suggestions for how to proceed. You can see those things. But these suggestions all point to the fact that you need to be proactive in determining who you are. And that's very much the narrative of the world that we are inhabiting in this moment in time. Try harder, dig deeper, you do you, let your feelings direct your footsteps, your identity bubbles up from within and then you'll become who you are. But what if identity was determined by something outside yourself? By a higher power, by the higher power. The Bible reveals to us that for those who are Christian, that's exactly how identity is determined. In his excellent book, How to Find Yourself, Here's a copy. If someone wants to borrow this from me, First Down can borrow it. It is a really, really great book. And I was thinking just this earlier today as I was praying over this sermon and thinking about it, that perhaps there'd be a group of people who'd be interested in reading this together. If that's you, come and speak to me afterwards. But Brian Rosner says... At the most profound level, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what sets the course for your life and keeps it on track is your identification with Christ and imitation of him and being known and loved by God as his child. Putting on that identity will determine the sort of man or woman, worker, friend, neighbour, father or mother, son or daughter that you will become. I don't know about you, but as I mull over that and think about that, that's countercultural, isn't it, to our world? Um, to you figuring it out yourself—it's actually—it's outside yourself. Now, Paul, it's only once we understand who we are, whose we are, that we can understand who we are. Paul tells us in Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4 uh, who we are. He lays out some foundational truths about the identity of those who are in Christ. And he provides, provides a succinct summary of the story of a Christian or the life cycle of a Christian, really. He says, you're raised with Christ who's seated at the right hand of God in heaven. You're hidden with Christ in God and waiting with anticipation for the return of Christ in all his glory. And later on in verse 12, Paul refers to them as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And then in verse 14 as forgiven. Aren't they wonderful descriptors of things that are placed on us when we are in Christ, when we know Jesus and when we understand that our identity first and foremost is found in him and who we believe him to be. This is who we are, and this is our collective identity as well. Now, for those who have put their trust in Jesus, these verses define us. Even when there's a disconnect between what you know is true and what you feel about who you are. One of my favourites, Tom Wright, says, "'It may not feel like it. "'Learning to believe what doesn't at the moment feel true "'is an essential part of being a Christian.'" That's what the life of faith is all about. So look around you. You can actually do that if you want, like look around you at other people. No, everyone's just looking straight forward. That's okay. <laughs> I'm used to talking to children and young people and they do what I say. <laughs> um, if you look around you or afterwards when we are spending time together in community, look around. This is what we have in common. The life of faith is all about knowing that we are loved by jesus and that we are in him with the risen lord jesus when we put our trust in him this is our compass you are this in christ and so be this way live according to that reality be what you are a christian if you are indeed a christian Our identity in Christ will impact every facet of our lives, who we are as Christians, who we are as a church, who we are as a congregation, and who we are as a community, both here and outside this building. It'll determine what our purpose is, why we gather, and what happens when we gather. So how will our identity in Christ impact the way that we live? Paul goes on to give some instructions for how to live as one who is raised up with Christ. First of all, he says, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If you belong to Jesus, then you already belong to the new world. And then he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The Greek translation of this verse uses the word seek. Which I think is a little bit more helpful because I think it implies and has weight of it being an active and ongoing thing that will need to happen. That idea of setting your minds and setting your hearts on things. And it's not set and forget, it's keep doing that. (laughs) Keep setting your mind on the things above, on the things of Jesus and of the end times. Now, I don't know about you, but I find it much easier to set my heart and my mind on earthly things the things that are here below, the things that are around me, the things I'm feeling, the things that are easily accessible and tangible, the things that I can touch, taste, see, feel and experience. And isn't it true that our modern post-Christian world places a high premium on the here and now, which makes these words in Colossians challenging to live out. It really does require power from the Holy Spirit to enable us to set our hearts and our minds on the things of the risen Lord Jesus. It is countercultural, and it requires ongoing learning and relearning. We are defined by Jesus and our identity is tied up in being raised with Christ. We're all to, we are to be actively setting our hearts and minds on the things of Christ and we need supernatural help from the Holy Spirit and diligence. It requires patience and discipline and unlearning old habits of disordered patterns of thinking. Now, I read that and I think about that. I think they're all things that I have in spades, impatience, like um, I don't really want to try very hard. Like it's it, it feels almost too difficult but the Bible tells me, and Jesus reminds me in, in uh, John chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit, he will help me. That that's what his role is, is to be the comforter, the counsellor, the helper. So it's only once we understand our identity in Christ that we are freed to live according to his ways, which is going to mean putting on the right clothing, Paul uses such visual, practical, and tangible language in the verses that follow. He says your old identity is without Christ, so not with him. So you need to take off your old identity and self with its practices. But Paul doesn't leave us in the dark regarding what these practices are. In fact, he's pretty explicit. And if you have a Bible there, have a look at at what those things are. There are two main areas of behaviour which Paul lists as typical of the old lifestyle that is now to be left behind, taken off, put to death. And they're to do with the earthly nature and sins of the mind and flesh, and they're to do with the way that we speak. Both of those areas are central areas to human life. And both those areas involve great potential for good, but also for evil. Paul says to put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature, things that are motivated by allegiance to self and the world rather than allegiance to Christ. And he uses really strong language. Paul's words would have been radical to the pagan culture of the day. And I think they're radical to us too as we think about them and their impact on us and their power over us, the power of the Holy Spirit to tame these parts of our lives. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, Paul says. Now as I've been reflecting on these verses and the implication that they have for our church and our story, the story of us, I realise that sometimes the natural inclination, as is true of me and might be true of you too, might be to cover these behaviours up. Just think if I put the other things on and leave you know, the bad stuff on the things that are not connected to Christ, then that's going to be okay. Perhaps you feel ashamed of things that only you know. Now, if you're uncomfortable with what Paul says in these verses, because there's sin in your life that's not acknowledged or dealt with, then please know that Christ died for sins once for all and he died to bring you, he died to bring me to God. We believe in and worship and worship a forgiving and gracious God. So turn to him in repentance and receive forgiveness in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if that's something you'd like to talk with me or perhaps Lucy or Justin or Tom after the service, that's something we would love to talk with and pray with you about. The beauty of being part of such a community as this – is that we have a responsibility and a privilege to walk alongside each other with grace and patience as we traverse this journey, sometimes going uphill, sometimes going down, and sometimes it's just plateaued (laughs) and everything in between. We have a responsibility and a privilege to remind each other of God's never stopping, never breaking, always and forever love, to speak the truth of the gospel in love to one another and the reason for all of this is that we have a new identity in Christ. We have put on a new self. Paul uses the present and active imperative. That's for you, Tom, down the back. Which means that we put these things on and we are to keep putting them on. Notice that Paul says that we are being renewed in knowledge in of in knowledge in the image of its creator. So the process is ongoing, active, and dynamic. You'll hear me say that a few times because I think that's what lifelong learning is as a follower of Jesus. It's active, it's dynamic. And if it's static and you feel like you're not moving forward, then that's where it's great to make use of the community here. Talk to someone. Ask for prayer. Ask someone to read the Bible with you because this is what brings unity because Paul also talks about unity. And in verse 11, he says... Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now these words feel particularly poignant to read and ponder given what's going on in our world and our country at this point in time. But they are true and they will be fully realised when Jesus returns. So take comfort in these words. The point of the new clothes, which the Christian must put on, is that the new life is about unity, about the whole community coming together in love. Old divisions must be done away with, whether they're social, cultural, geographical or whatever. Jesus is the king and he's present and active in everyone and indeed everything. Nothing lies outside his sovereign rule. Some things to note about this clothing that we are to inhabit first. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, the interesting thing about this wardrobe is that all these garments can only be worn, really, in community with other people, in relationships, because all those things, you only know whether or not you've put that clothing on when you engage with other people. Um, So, Don't you agree that it would be a whole lot easier to not have to wear these garments around other people? But that's not what we have. We have this word uh, and we know that it's true. And perhaps there's some of those uh, items of clothing that resonate with you more that you think, oh, I don't find it hard to be kind, but when it comes to being compassionate. But Paul is saying all of these things, and it's not just putting them over the top of the old thing. Remember, we have put those things to death. This is putting on kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. And perhaps that's something you can think about and chat with others about. What would that look like in our community here, but also in your own home life, with your own relationships at work or in your family? The second thing Paul says is bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against each other. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Now, we are going to say the Lord's Prayer um, just as I finish up the sermon in a few moments' time. But you'll notice there's something about forgiving in there that Jesus says. Okay, so we, Paul also says, forgive one another if any one of you have a grievance against each other. And third, and probably most importantly, Paul says, put on love which binds them all together. I think, Justin, earlier in the year when you preached on this passage, you said, put on the overcoat of love. It's a bit like an overcoat. You don't remember it, but I do, because I went back and had a look. These are not just words from Paul, though. They're words straight from the mouth of Jesus that Dan read just a moment ago. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So if putting these clothes on are indicators of our new identity in Christ, how do you think our church is going? How would you rate our clothing against Paul's exhortation? Again, I'm not going to well, I am answering that in a roundabout way, <laughs> but I also want you to be thinking about that. For those who are community group leaders, you will get a study with some of these questions so you can talk about these things in community group. Um, You could ponder this question, what sort of actions and words will make those behaviour patterns that Paul talks about putting on, kindness, compassion, humility, uh, forgiving one another, bearing with one another and putting the overcoat of love on, what's that going to look like? What will those patterns, how will they come true in your own personal life, but also in the life of our community and our church? The Christian life is not designed to be lived in isolation. And so our life together is based on faith, not on experience. Although God, by his, because of his goodness, will often give us good experiences with people that we go to church with, and even at church. But that's not why we gather together. We gather together because we are centred on Jesus. And remember, the, our identity is in him. So the story of our life together is that Jesus is the one who shapes it. Now I too, Tom, am a fan of the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In fact, this book here, uh, Life Together, some of you might have read this, um, some of you might not, but it is wonderful. He talks about life together and the title is called Life Together, so that's helpful. Um, But I think his description of church is so helpful He says, Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief, single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. So there's a horizontal... I've got to get these words right. There's horizontal as well as the vertical um, with Jesus. He says, what does this mean? I mean, first, that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means, second, that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. And it means, third, that in Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and united for eternity. That is our purpose. Paul paints a picture of what our life together will look like uh, in verses 15, 16, and 17 of Colossians chapter three. He says in verse 15, "'Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, "'since as members of one body you were called to peace, "'and be thankful.'" Paul's instructions are not designed here in this moment, in this particular part of Colossians, to be read individually. Since he bases his instructions on the calling, Christians have received to peace in one body. You can see that there. What do you think this peace is? More rhetorical questions. <laughs> what do you think we're to do with this peace? One writer I read said, it's not just the peace we experience when there's no conflict, it's a sense of wholeness and well-being, completeness and totality. The sense here is, let the peace of Christ be the umpire of your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Let it decide what is right. Let it be your counselor. Paul goes on in verse 16 to say, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, our community group, Dave uh, Irving and I, who worked on staff here, we uh, talked about this in our community group on Wednesday night. What's, what do you think dwell means? Why do you think that word used? What comes to mind when you hear that word? I think there's more going on than simply digesting knowledge or information and just kind of reading and thinking about. I think it goes deeper than that. The idea of dwelling is kind of sitting amongst you. Tim Keller wrote that meditation on the Bible is more than just intense thinking. When Paul talks about the word of God dwelling richly within us, he's clearly talking of something beyond mere assent to information. When the words of the Lord live in your heart, they change your heart. So how do we let God's words dwell richly amongst us, I think they do in many, many ways. Uh, Even when someone sends a text message with a reminder of a Bible verse, or perhaps when you're sitting with someone uh, and a verse comes to mind and you're praying, or perhaps you might hear something uh, from the Bible read in, in a service or talked about in the sermon that you think, was that written for me? I think that's part of what it means to have the word dwell amongst us by feasting on God's words regularly, thinking on his word, reciting his word and psalms, and mumbling over them and over and over to ourselves and to each other. And I think this such dwelling comes about through active cultivation of of ministry and teaching amongst each other. It's not just the ministers or the community group leaders. This is something that everybody can do. And it, as it happens in our community. I've already listed some of the ways it happens. It happens here on Sundays. It happens in our community groups during the week. It happens when you send a text to someone uh, or when you remind someone of a lyric from a hymn. Uh, that's uh, Those that know me well know that I'm not gonna sing. I had said that I might sing something, but I won't this time. Uh, but for some reason, God has wired me uh, and I feel his presence a lot <laughs> when I sing songs, Christian songs, uh, and, and remind me of hymns. They remind me of truths about who God, God is and what he's like. Um, but sometimes uh, that might happen for you as well. Uh, and I think all of those things, is, that's the word dwelling richly amongst us and in us. And this mutual instruction, I love that Paul says, it's to be musical. Songs that faithfully convey the message of scripture and the gospel are an ideal medium for sharing ministry with the Christian community. Already we've sung today about the love of the Father, lifted up our voices. We've sung about how God will build us and we will build our life on him. And after this, we're gonna talk about how we are his people. We're gonna declare that together in song uh, and through prayer as well. When we sing together, it's possible for us to speak and pray And dwell together at the same time, singing the same words. Congregational singing is an act of instructing and encouraging one another. And finally, notice to whom we are singing. We have a dual audience. We sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God, um, with hearts that believe, but we also sing, as the verse here in verse 16 implies, we sing to one another. And verse 17, he says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These exhortations are drawn together in an all-encompassing instruction relating to whatever you do in word or deed. That kind of takes care of all the things in life, right? Every action and word of the believer in every context is to be performed or spoken as one who bears the name of the one true Lord Jesus. There's no sacred or secular divide in Paul's mind. Every act should be an act of Christian service. And what's more, in all the things, the follower of Jesus should be characterized by thankfulness to the Father through the Son. The story of our church belongs to God. He is the author of the story, but we are woven into this story. We're part of it. And God tells his story in and through us. And if our lives are to be shaped by the story of scripture, then we need to understand two things well. The biblical story is a compelling unity on which we can depend. And each of us has a place in the story. And I wanna ask you the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have a part in the story of God, whether or not you have put your trust in Jesus or not? Do you believe that you are part of that story? But we are also storytellers. God has placed us here in this moment in time and our lives must be shaped by the overarching narrative of the Bible rather than us reading the Bible into the narrative of our lives, which is so easy to do. And so being a good storyteller, I think, means that you listen and you observe and learn from those who have gone before you, as well as those who are around us now, as well as uh, those who will go ahead of us, uh, sorry, after us as well. Um, being trans- this happens as we grow and change, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Our place in this story and our existence as a community owes everything to Jesus. Let me pray, and then we're going to finish. I'll finish by us saying the Lord's Prayer. So, see, I might let you take over the... the, Thanks. Let's pray. Our dear Lord, we do thank you for your sovereignty, and we thank you, God, that you're a storytelling God, Lord, who since the beginning of time has been telling... weaving a story, telling a story, Lord, that about your goodness and your... Uh, rescue of your people, bringing them back to you. And we pray, Lord, that as we think about our story here, our personal stories, as well as our collective story, Lord, as a church, as a community, would you be with us? Lord, would you protect us from the evil one? Would you help us uh, to put some of these things that Paul talks about into action, Lord? Um, We can only do those things, Lord, though, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would um, would you enable us, Lord, to be storytellers as well, Um, to live our identity, to put this clothing on that shows that we are in Christ and uh, to be able to be part of our story, the story of this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.